Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney back with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. How are we doing? Doing well. And you are fresh off going to a race and prepping to go to another race. Yeah. Went to the uh, Gallagher Grand Prix last week in IMS. Weather was not too terrible compared to the previous uh, road course race in May. And to be fair, even last year. True. And then uh, Nashville again this weekend where the weather does not look so promising. (laughs) Could add a different dynamic to that race. We shall see a a street race in the rain. That would be be fascinating. It wouldn't be good for attendance, but it would definitely be good for intrigue. I feel absolutely. Which to be fair, last year was not lacking for intrigue. True. We shall see. But this week we'll recap last weekend's Gallagher Grand Prix at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Of course, we'll preview the Music City Grand Prix coming up this weekend in Nashville. We have a, a contract announcement as well. Plus more updates on the ongoing lawsuit between Alex Blow and his management and Chip Ganassi Racing. That's all to come on this week's episode. But as always, time for our three takeaways from the Gallagher Grand Prix one this past weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway by Alexander Rossi. Hey, how about that? I lay into him and then he responds. Yes. That's how it works, folks. So obviously my first takeaway is Rossi getting his first win since Road America 2019. And there's all kind of crazy stats about this. What was it? 49 races, right? That it was a, right, 49, a winless yeah. streak uh, for Rossi and for Andretti Autosport. It's their second win of the season, which, look, that puts him in line with Ganassi. Yeah, right. So... And we talk so much about how great Ganassi has been. So, yeah, Ganassi only with two wins on the season. Andretti now matches them with their second one of the season. But I think for Rossi, look, he he qualified well. This is a track he admittedly does not like, and he qualified well. He put himself in position, was consistently up front. Colton Herta had the issue, which they still don't know what that issue was. There's been no confirmation. He was saying on the radio something about the clutch not picking up, but... That's unsettling, going into yeah. another race weekend, right? Yeah. Not really sure what the problem was. But all in all, Rossi gets the win. He had been knocking on the door, to be fair. It, it feels like since right after the Indy 500 that he had kind of been a an actual contender uh, most weeks. So it, it's finally happened. It's over. He even said in the post-race interview that he felt more relieved than excited, and and rightfully so. It's been a while, but I think just quite simply, he's back in the win column. He can move forward. He gets that monkey off his back, especially as he heads to a new team next year. And everything you said about, you know, when's it going to happen? Well, it happened last week, so we can uh, can move forward. Congratulations to Rossi for getting that win. And look, I I was hard on him last episode. I still stand by what I said, but I think it now changes the outlook for Alexander Rossi now going to McLaren you mentioned it really more relief than excitement in winning this and now it's going to even be an even bigger or cleaner slate going to McLaren he's not going to have this cloud over him that he hasn't won in three plus years it was uh it was a boring drive you could say for Alexander Rossi and that was a good thing last week at IMS no team issues you, you mentioned Cold Nerda he had issues but Andretti Autosport gave him a good car, good pit stops. He continued to hit his marks, drove away for the field, was really under no threat. 
in the last, you know, 25 or so laps, you know, they tried to make some drama there late with, you know, some smoke or whatever, but it was all to do about nothing. And Rossi gets the win, gets the, uh, the streak to end and has to feel as relieved as he has in quite some time now entering Nashville this week. Yeah. This from Chad 200, as far as, uh, some, some notes on Rossi's last win compared to now. So, First win in 1,133 days. Half of the drivers in that last race in 2019 no longer racing in the series. David Malukas was 17. The top box office movie was Aladdin. Is the remake. Not, yeah, not the cartoon one. Yeah, correct. Uh, the top billboard song was Old Town Road. <laughs> Which I guess isn't cool anymore. I, I, yeah. That comes on the radio on my Spotify or whatever. My son's like, this is not yeah, a that, good song. That had its moment. Yeah. And... Uh, it, also, no one had ever heard of COVID nineteen. Yeah, that's how <laughs> that's how much it's been since Rossi's last win. Now we would be remiss if we did not mention what became of the win post race. There's a a penalty. The team fined twenty five thousand dollars. Rossi docked twenty points, and the entrant also as well. They ran a foul of post race inspection. Had to do with the water bottle, where they used the water bottle weight with it. As ballast, yes. And so, not a disqualification. This seems more like a an infraction and not an egregious thing, right? But I I mean, you can't mention the win without mentioning that. And in the big scheme of things, I don't think it was anything too nefarious in terms of trying to gain an edge. You know, whether they like whatever didn't know it or misread the rule, I don't think it gave Alexander Rossi the difference in winning the race or anything like that. But a rule is a rule got punished. You know, if he was in a championship race, it would be, I think a bigger story in terms of docking points, which makes me wonder if IndyCar would have given him the same stiff punishment if he was indeed in a championship race, but it's still a win. There's no asterisk. He didn't get it stripped like, you know, in NASCAR and cup a couple weeks ago. So a win for Rossi. And now we head into Nashville and, place where maybe, you know, Colton Herta can keep it going in terms of Andretti Autosport dominance. What's your first takeaway? Well, let's talk about the crossover weekend. And you were down there. You had boots on the ground, so to speak. I had the view from my couch watching on television. I really liked Dale Jr. both in the pre-race and in the early parts of the race on Saturday in the booth. Four's a crowd, but I feel like he adds a different dynamic that maybe is missing a little bit in that booth. And when you looked at the crowds and you can, you can, you can talk to me about crowds for Saturday against Sunday. And um, overall, you know, it always seems like we're always finding things wrong with this weekend. Oh, we're back at IMS again. I'm one of those guys on the road course, but in terms of everybody getting together, it's always cool to me to see the NASCAR guys on the pit boxes and asking questions and vice versa. I think it's good for North American motorsport, and who knows if it's a long-term thing, but that that is one positive I get out of it, kind of seeing those guys interact. Yeah, I guess that aspect's positive. Otherwise, it just IndyCar is an afterthought, to the point that Connor Daly even tweeted before this whole week and last week talking about he was talking to some of his NASCAR friends. Some of them didn't even know IndyCar was racing that weekend at the track. There, <laughs> there was a press conference for a sponsor announcement for Ryan Blaney 
at the same time as the IndyCar warm-up Saturday morning. But I do feel it is the warm-up, right? I mean, IndyCar isn't the main show for this weekend. So you can try to spin it all you want for Connor Daly and IndyCar and all that, but it's not the main show. It's on Saturday. It's before the Xfinity race. Yeah, but could they do something in the future? Nathan Brown had a good article kind of column in IndyStar.com saying, could they move IndyCar to Sunday be earlier like 12 12 30 and then have cup later in the mm. afternoon i think it's really tough with tire compounds and yeah. everything Good yeah i think NASCAR that is the to degree to that that's the one issue with all yeah. that right is the the tire compounds because xfinity is not going to go race at irp i mean irp was lucky to get trucks, trucks back and yeah. that they had Which, a great crowd yeah great crowd at irp look i'm i'm I, i'm would be perfectly fine if this race went away for indycar to be honest it's the least Least exciting race of the year. We've already been to to the the road course. You know, you're playing second fiddle to Cup or NASCAR, and that's fine. So, to me, you know, you know, look, IndyCar owns IMS for an entire month, right? So, I don't feel like they're getting shortchanged or it's unfair that they don't get, you know, top billing or close to top billing in late July, early August, or whatever it is. So that doesn't really bother me. It's just it's. It's kind of a boring race to me. We've already done this. There's hardly anybody there. There's no anticipation of, oh, this is starting the month to then get into the 500. There's just no excitement for me, you know, in terms of of this weekend. So, you know, I pointed out some positives that I like about the weekend, but it doesn't outweigh the negatives. Yeah. And look, I think if they were to find another race that could fit in that date or around then, they would scrap this in a heartbeat. Probably. Yeah. I mean, look, I'd rather them race it at IMS a second time on the road course than not, then only have 16 races. But at the same time, I would love to find a 17th race. Uh, you know, l- let's say IndyCar adds one race next year and it sounds like, you know, they're not, but let's say they do instead of going to 18 races, I would strip this race and just drop back to 17. In my opinion. Yeah. I That's agree. How little it means to me. I agree. And many people pointed this out and I can confirm it in person that, the crowd on Saturday was starting to fill in at the end of the IndyCar race for the Xfinity <laughs> race. I'm not even kidding you. But, you know, it's it's traditionally Brickyard weekend, right? I know it moves around, but, you know, it is a NASCAR event. NASCAR fans only have one chance to see stock cars at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And you can debate, you know, whether they're better in the oval or the road course, but that's facts. And there are straight up NASCAR only fans in this state. That's fine. And their only opportunity, like I said, to see those cars at the track is on Brickyard Weekend. So I don't really mind it. I'm fine for IndyCar to be a quote-unquote warm-up. I feel like it's not a relationship that I would foster because people are saying, oh, let's see IndyCar and Cup uh, team up at Gateway. Well, guess which one's going to get top billing at Gateway? It's going to be NASCAR. It's going to be Cup. Anywhere. Do it at Road America. Cup will get top billing. That's just how it is. More people watch, more people go. Well, Cup's not back at Road America, so we don't have True, to worry but about you that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, if you if you want more of these, you know, IndyCar NASCAR doubleheaders or whatever, it's, IndyCar is never going to be the main event. No, it would be great though if they could at least be in a better time slot than Xfinity. That said, a million people tuned in. So it worked on TV being at noon on a Saturday. That part works. (laughs) Xfinity got a much higher rating. Not that that's surprising. You're on later in the day. You're going to get a better rating. 
I feel too, you know, part of this, and, and look, I know a million people tuned in, but to me, look, I love IndyCar, but at this point of the season where we're on what fourth straight weekend of races, man, it's a grind. Well, and and it doesn't help that it's not like an exciting event. It's not. We've already seen, been there, done that, right? In it, May. It's, it's not Nashville this weekend. That is right. Much more exciting. You go to a, a a very popular city. It's a street circuit. You had a lot of chaos in the race last year. You want to see how year two is going to go on and off the track. They had some issues off track that I think are fixed. Yeah, from everything I've read, because well. I'm in Grandstand 6, the infamous Grandstand from last year. Uh, last year, I was wasn't not. Wasn't ready yet? Yeah, I was yeah. not in that stand last year, but this year I am. So mm. uh, everything looks good going forward. Obviously, the weather does not, but th- it's not an exciting event, as you mentioned, the the road course race. It's good that they got a, another title sponsor, and the racing for this event, better than I would have expected going into yeah, it. I agree. I mean, yeah, but you know, you look at this string of races and you know, there's excitement going back to Toronto being there for the first time in three years. Right. And then of course the Hy-Vee weekend at Iowa, really exciting. We're going into Nashville for the second time and you know, a lot of excitement there squeezed in amidst all those races was a return to IMS. It was like, it's almost a deflating weekend, no matter how you spin it. When we talk about exciting race weekends for IndyCar, just doesn't do it for me. Feels like a support series and not even a major level series. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, the, the, it's cliche, you know, every time you race at the speedway, it means something. And, and to be there is always special. No, I don't buy into that. I mean, when, when there's hardly anybody there, it's just, you know, it's the same place, but it feels different and even different from the May event because it's, you know, the precursor to bigger and better things on the oval. At least we get the fun crowd estimates out of the weekend. (laughs) You know, how many people were there? 25,000, 60,000. We'll never know. Yeah. We'll never know. And they're, they'll never tell either. So, you know, it's just an interesting weekend. Who knows how long it lasts, how long it goes forward. You know, there's discussion with, with cup. Do they start alternating, you know, the oval and the road course, if they do adopt the oval, go back to the oval even if they go back and forth, what does that do for IndyCar logistically racing there? I mean, do they want to race on the road course on Saturday and then change things back to the configuration for the oval on Sunday? But you also have to factor in cup practice, right? So if cup and IMS come to a deal where they're alternating or even go back to the oval full time, what does that do for the weekend for IndyCar? Because they're not going to do a second oval event no, at the Speedway. Absolutely not. So. We'll see. But what's your number two out of this race? All right. There are several things I I thought of, but first let's bring up Meyer Shank Racing. It's not been good. No, it is not. And I was reading Marshall Pruitt's article talking about Meyer Shank Racing wanting to rebound and Michael Shank himself is saying, look, there are no excuses. And that's how he operates. All right. But I didn't realize this. Jack Harvey last year, 13th in points. And they're not even at that level in points when you look at it. And just a really bad weekend. Now, Simon Pagano is 13th right now, but he's coming off. They ran him out of fuel. So bad strategy. Yeah, which call. is, you know, how, how does that happen, right? Yeah. I mean, we 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 bash Andretti Autosport a lot, but they haven't ran out of fuel. And then you have Elio Castroneves get a penalty. 
as well in the race uh, for avoidable contact in, in an incident. It was deserved, but it's just another bad weekend it is they were a non-factor Elio 19th. He's 18th in points. And can I say that's kind of where I expected him to be? Yeah, you can say that. And I, I guess I expected a little bit higher and by higher, I mean like top 15, but it's just, it's, it's been a struggle and Simon Pagino, I mean, he's shown some promise and had a string of good results. Obviously great result at the Indy GP where he's second in the rain, but he's had three straight bad races. Elio has had four straight races outside the top 10. It's been a struggle. We expect both drivers to be back next year, but overall, I think it's easy to say going in that it's disappointing, especially with Pagano on his results. We figured he could maybe get a win this year and that didn't seem outside the question, but the season's kind of getting away from him right now. Just one top five for Pagano and 13 starts. You know, this is a lineup that going into the season, I felt wasn't conducive to success throughout the season. For Meyer Shank, you're seeing a lot of teams what, you know, they, they partner a veteran with a rookie or a veteran with a younger guy. And I was shocked when Elio Castroneva signed for a full season. I understand why it happened because of the fourth Indy 500 win. But I thought at most he's an oval only guy. I just don't think at this stage in his career, Elio Castroneves, and he showed it the last couple of years with Penske, can be a championship contender, right? And then with Pagano, you know, he hasn't lived up to expectations, but you felt like maybe if he was the alpha, if he was the veteran to somebody else's youth, then maybe that'd be a good dichotomy. I just, I don't know where Meyer Shank is in terms of where they're at mentally and on track. And it sounds like Elio's back next year full time, which kind of feels like spinning your wheels at this point. Like, has Elio all of a sudden become a championship contender in 2023? I don't think so. And it's not like these are drivers that aren't familiar with one another. They are Team Penske teammates. Like, you don't need to worry about continuity because they're already familiar. They've worked together for several years in the past. Right. So that's also a non-factor. You know, when you look at what Michael Shank's idea was, he's bringing in two proven race winners, Indianapolis 500 winners, you know, in terms of you know, championship contenders in their history, right? Pagano won a title. And the results haven't been there. I think maybe this is a lineup that's three years past its prime, potentially. I think if you go back to 2019, 2018, this feels like a really good lineup, but this feels like the... How do I put it nicely? it's It's the franchise in baseball that signs two aging veterans to try to eke out every last bit of potential and talent they have. And it just hasn't worked for Myron Shank. It's like the Steelers running it back with Roethlisberger again last year. <laughs> right. And, and going one more year. Have one more shot. I guess that's the way I look at it. And I feel part of that goes back to that, you know, in terms of Elio with that fourth Indy 500 win. Totally. I mean, I'm sure sponsorship money was great. Like, yeah, we're, we're on board for a year. Let's do it. Let's go for five. That's great. Unfortunately, there's 16 other races other than the Indianapolis 500. And Elio, for the majority of those, has been a non-factor. And I feel like 
I don't know in terms of setup if it, if they can't trade a lot of info. I don't know. It's it's very much a lost season for Meyer Shank Racing at this point. What's your second takeaway? Oh, let's look at my second takeaway. And you know, it, it was a whirlwind week, right? For for uh, Joseph Newgarden, for him to finish where he finished was it fifth? Fifth, yes. Uh, impressive drive. And you have to feel pretty good after bouncing back uh, from Iowa too. Is he sitting there, what, 32 points behind Will Power? So still in the running in what was, you know, this time last week, we weren't sure if if Joseph, with an F, not a PH, (laughs) was even going to be able to race at IMS. Comes out, has a solid weekend, and brings it home fifth, still in the title race. And also, during the race, had... A little bit of uh, adversity, if you will, to overcome. You got a track limits violation, which I thought, right? that's a new one. Which I don't know if they ever showed, and they, they said what turn complex it was, but I don't think they ever showed the I, egregious error. But it's, it's by timing, so it. they were explaining it. You know, there's a sensor, and if you trim, trip that sensor, it's a penalty. So it was a cut and dry violation. It wasn't a judgment call, but was able to fight back and finish fifth. Yeah, and like you said, he's able to race from the first session, I mean, it looked like he was back to his old self. He was competitive. Firestone fast six, I think was running as high as second at one point, but overall a a good race for him and a good bounce back uh, with another top five. Very, very impressive. But uh, what is your number three? All right. I, I feel like I bring this up almost every race, but let's talk race control. Okay. What you got? So Colton Herta, you know, the, he has the issue, tries to bring it into the pits. He's coasting in and stops basically just past the entrance of pit lane. Seems to be not a best case scenario. No. And I understand that a lot of the other cars had recently pitted, but look, he's an obstacle on the course and there's no yellow for a car that's just sitting at the entrance of pit road. If someone has an issue... They have to avoid him. To me, that feels like a safety hazard. He is a not moving chicane, is what you're saying, instead of a moving chicane. Look, this is it. I I don't like, I understand the rule or the not rule. Basically, let everybody pit so nobody gets burned. But at the same time, one of these days, it's going to result in a crash or something. Yeah. And I'm not saying somebody's going to get seriously hurt or somebody don't necessarily need that to change to change the rule, but something's going to happen where they feel, okay, he's sufficiently off the driving line. And then somebody else is going to lose it in the same area and have a crash to where they're going to be like, look, we have to throw the flat, the, the yellow as soon as possible. Because, you know, I understand there's probably been, there is, there has been a lot of, of complaining from drivers and teams that they get burned on the yellow, but that's racing. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're, waiting but at some point it's going to be the wrong call and you just hope somebody doesn't get hurt i just don't like that there's a car the entrance to the pits just sitting there all you need is somebody to come in and cook the tires and you know even a wiggle and you're getting into herda like this is another situation where okay they made a judgment call it it was fine but like you said one of these times it's not going to be fine i just to me and 
to be fair, I've not dove into the rule book and, and seen what the rules say, but to me, common sense would be you throw a yellow if a car is stopped on track, and to me, that includes pit lane when the track is green. Now, does this lead when in, it's a hazard? Right. Does this lead into a virtual safety car situation? Virtual caution? They've talked about it, but it doesn't seem like they're going to do that. Would they? Would that alleviate some of the issues? Maybe. I don't. I'm not smart enough to know. Yeah, I, I don't. I, know. I don't know. I it just. Uh, were you surprised they didn't throw a yellow for that? Because no, I'm I not was. surprised anymore because that's just how IndyCar race control operates. Is no matter unless it's some huge issue, they're not going to throw the flag, the caution until everybody pits. They're just not. And you know, some non calls are more egregious than others, and I felt like this one was you were in a danger zone. And you know, like I said, eventually it's going to result in something not very good happening. Yeah, which. Look, this came a few laps after Simon Pagano ran out of fuel and they had a caution. <laughs> right. So again, this wasn't going to screw anyone over as far as the race strategy goes. It just, to me, it felt like another situation where a yellow should have been thrown and I thought, okay, they're letting everyone go. And then they just kept racing and I was like, okay, <laughs> interesting move. It feels like race control when there's an incident with a car are more concerned on all the other cars on track and not the inv- the car involved or the situation involved. They're more, okay, there's a car slowing or stopping. Where is everybody at on their pit cycle? Instead of, is this a danger? Yeah. It, it, right? Safety first, right? Yeah, safety first. Instead, they're finishing. They're scared about dealing with the upset team or driver after the race because they got burned on pit strategy because when the caution flew. That's that used, racing, right? That used to happen all the time in IndyCar, and to be honest, yes, it was frustrating if you're... It added different dynamic. ...driver or team were screwed by it, but also it made road and street courses more of a wild card. Absolutely. I and agree. I think we're missing that. All right, what's your third takeaway? Well, let's talk rookie of the year race right now. And we had a couple dry, good drives over the weekend. Malukas was good again. Eilat was good again. We look at Christian Lungard now. Uh, in first still in terms of the rookie of the year race and you have Lucas just 27 points behind behind it's really just a two-horse race but looking back when we look at 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 how we rated the rookies at the beginning of the season when we went in Caleb and we said Kyle Kirkwood most talented of the bunch right (laughs) we talked Lungard maybe as that second guy and then a lot of question marks Eilat had shown potential Malukas I mean, I, th- I thought we talked less about Malukas than we did Devlin DeFrancesco because we felt maybe Devlin was a year too early. Yes. Malukas was kind of that throw-in, right? Yeah, M- Malukas was second in lights. We kind of forget that. I mean, he won a lot of races in lights, so we should have seen this coming, but a, a rookie on a, one of the smaller teams, I guess the expectations are a little bit lower. And you look at the last five results for David Malukas, ninth, 12th, 14th, 8th, 13th. Really solid. Really solid. I mean, when you look at, at, at Meyer Shank, they could use some consistency like that from a young driver. Instead, they have two aging guys that are going around. And, you know, where where does Meyer Shank go in terms of development over the next couple of years? Because they're locked in with those same two guys. So when we look at how we judged the rookie class entering the season to now, you know, it's either going to be Lungard or Malukas, rookie of the year. And Kyle Kirkwood... 
is significantly behind even Devlin DeFrancesco, 18 points behind in terms of being last in the rookie standings. Well, and I remember we both took Loongard only because we knew he'd have better equipment. Because we're smart. But we didn't feel like <laughs> Kirkwood would be this far out of it. No. No, we thought, look, Kirkwood hasn't had a finish better than 15th going back to Long Beach, which was his lone top 10 of the season where he finished 10th. Outside of that, 15th is his best finish on the year. That was in Iowa 1 where there were no mistakes and they got through the race and he had another bad weekend at the Indy GP. Look, I really hope for his sake and the team's sake that they improve because they really need that leader circle money. I mean, are we talking about a coin team if they can't get some results in these final four races? Or sorry, coin Foyt team. Yeah. They can't get results in these final four races. Like, does the they team not move forward? They completely miss out on leader circle money for two entries. For two, yeah, but you know, they entered the, re- the season with three full time entries and they could end the year with zero leader circle money. Benched one entry, the other two could finish out of the leader circle. And we expect That's terrible. We expect one to finish out just because Kellett's so far behind. I mean, he'd right. have to go on a tear his final handful of races to get back in contention. Yeah, he's 30 points behind Kirkwood. But when we look at Kyle Kirkwood, how much do we judge his performance or lack thereof on the team he's with? And how much do we hold him responsible for? And that could be a question that doesn't get completely answered until next season. I would put it right now at 50-50. I mean, he's shown flashes, but he's made mistakes. And then the team's also made mistakes. Yeah, a little bit of everything, but... I feel like the the rookie class is a lot about what we expected, but there's also some surprises in there. So that was my number three. Yeah, and I just want to add a little bit more on Lungard. Look, a, a podium. He had another good result. What a Firestone Fast Six! I haven't done the the math. Was that the first Firestone Fast Six of the season for the Ray Hall team? May have been. I mean, that's I feel like that's something to is. keep in mind. And if anybody else did it, I'd say Lungard did it somewhere else. Because you you look at what he's done. He was sixth in qualifying. You go back to, I'm I'm trying to see like another race, for example, what he was able to do. Didn't do it at at Toronto. And that was kind of where they started to get some better results for the first time. But yeah, I mean, this is a team that badly needed some good qualifying and, and a good result. And Lungard's kind of been that guy as far as qualifying goes uh, to, to get results. And now when you look at it, you look at him being about 26 points behind Graham Rahal in the points. So could Christian Lungard make a push to be the highest finishing driver in the points for Rahal Letterman Lanigan? It's quite possible, right? Like legitimately, it is quite possible. And I'm looking through qualifying results and I'm not seeing Ray Hall and any other Ray Hall drivers on any other the the timesheets. So uh, again, feel free to correct us if we're wrong. But I'm I'm not seeing it overall though. A, a great run for him. Graham Ray Hall has struggled in qualifying per usual, but went 17th to seventh on the grid. Another good result for him. Jack Harvey, unfortunately, another struggling day as he finished in 20th. But the qualifying pace is improving for this team. Now it's getting consistency in the finishing results. We'll see if they can take another small step forward this weekend in Nashville. For sure. 
Uh, looking at just some other notable results from Nashville, Will Power, another podium. So I was looking this up and I was shocked. Will Power has either been top four or outside the top 10. He doesn't have a single <laughs> top 10 finish from all year. To 10. They're all top fives. And then obviously he has the, the win at Detroit, which is crazy. 15th in the 500, 19th at Road America, 15th at Toronto. He has zero top 10 finishes. They're all within the top five or a win. All right, we talk about feast or famine with Joseph Newgarden. Same with Will Power. And you look at it, at Power and his stats. I saw this from Ryan Marine of IndyCar Radio talking about what he's done on the season. Through the first 13 races of the IndyCar season, Will Power's average finishing position, 6.1, better than his average starting position, 9.1. That has happened only once before in 16 full-time IndyCar Champ Car seasons. That one year, 2014, the year of his lone championship. How about that? So something to keep in mind. Hmm. He's having a, a great year. Yes, he's only won one race, but he's been so consistent. And in fact, three straight top three finishes. I mean, that's hard to combat. Marcus Erickson, who fell back to second, eighth, sixth, and 11th in the past three races. So power's just on another level right now. And sitting now with a nine-point points lead heading into Nashville weekend, leading Marcus Erickson. Taking a look at some other notes from the weekend. Obviously, TV ratings you mentioned earlier, they got above a million. A magic number. 0.67 for the rating, 1.046 million as far as TV viewers. Then total audience delivery, which includes Peacock, 1.07 million. I forgot about this. The race last year was on NBCSN, 522,000 viewers. There had to have been some conflict because the Xfinity race last year was on NBC as well. Right. It must so maybe be a goal for yeah, something was going on. Very weird that they, they didn't have the race on NBC last year. So TV rating positive, got above a million. That's all that matters. Yep. And uh, I think that kind of says it all as, as far as what they got out of the weekend. So that, that number here's, I think the key takeaway on the TV side, this from NBC sports PR. So we have an update on the season. Okay. So they are up 105% versus last year's race on NBCSN. Okay. Well, duh, of course it's going to be up. I think the, the notable thing, most watch IndyCar season through 12 races since 2016 up 6% versus last year. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I said double digits. Correct. Know, needs to be 10% or above. Yes. Considering the amount of races on network. Now with three of the four remaining races on NBC, yeah, right? You that should strong. help. Yeah. Gateway is on USA network. Because but usually chance. the last several races of the season traditionally are on, not on cable. Yeah. That West coast swing. I don't think it was ever on cable well, on network. So you have, Laguna Seca and Portland that'll be on NBC gateway on USA, uh, USA and the Nashville on NBC. So we have a chance to really boost that number, especially going to some good markets. And, and again, you're finishing the season largely not impacted by the NFL. What the, the September 11th is the first NFL weekend, right? right? So yes, you have that, but it's a West coast race. So you're outside of the, the East Coast NFL 1 p.m. time slot, right? So that should help as well. Finish strong and get to that 10% growth. I think that would be big. Yeah, I think that is 
ultimately the goal. So there's a little bit of crossover for Laguna Seca, 3 p.m. Of course, that's not the start time for the race. That's just TV coverage, I would guess, 3.30-ish. So a little bit of crossover, but not much when you're talking about those 1 p.m. NFL games. Correct. But I also think, once again, noon start, but, you know, what was it, 12-25-ish around the green flag. Those early starts, man, Saturday and Sunday, I feel, are good. And this race got a better rating than the GMR Grand Prix in May, which had 998,000 viewers. Now that's excluding the Peacock numbers for that. How about that? Something to take away. Sure. All right. Any other takeaways or notes you want to mention uh, from the weekend? I don't think so. I think, uh, once again, congratulations to Alexander Rossi, and I was glad that I could be the, uh, the catalyst to have that happen last week. I'll take sole credit. <laughs> you do that. Also, <laughs> one other note, Sage Karam, 13th in the Xfinity race. So a good run for Not him. Not too bad. Really good run. Last year, he was running up front, and I think he got involved in a crash. This year, though, able to uh, keep it up front, and a good run for him. So, all right. We mentioned we also have contract stuff to get to. Renus VK confirmed in a multi-year deal yeah. with Ed Carpenter Racing. Contracts mean nothing. Now, I don't... I'm multi-year not deal, though, means a lot because there are a lot of known free agents up in 2024. 2024. I think Renus VK is safe for next year of 2023. If he goes out and wins multiple races at ECR next year, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody buys out that contract and hires him. Yeah, I think next year with the stability of the team, look, they've they found something in the second half of the season after kind of struggling in the middle outside of Daly's good runs in, in Indianapolis in May. And I think they'll keep returning their form. This is a team that I would think could win a race or two next year. Renus VK had the opportunity this year to impress some big teams and get an opportunity to go to a bigger operation in IndyCar. That didn't happen. Now he has a chance next year to do that with some continuity with ECR moving forward. He didn't take advantage of it this year, and I'm not saying it's all entirely his fault you know, with his team as well, but I feel like him being a hot commodity entering the season, that's kind of cooled over the course of this year based on his performance. Yes, and he had that great run at Barber where he won the pole, right, but didn't win the race. And then after that, uh, it's, it's kind of been up and down, but a, a sixth last week in the Indy GP, a, a good run for him. Yep. So he's back with his team. I don't think it's a huge surprise, because we never really heard anything about Ganassi being interested for him in the 10 car to begin with. We heard it all about for him and that McLaren seat that, well, we thought went to Alex below, but we'll see. Who knows what's going on at this point. But, you know, Renus VK can come back, finish top 10 in points next year, maybe get a win, maybe two. I feel like he could really be somebody that a team is looking to buy out and hire for 2024. And Chad 200 pointing this out on Twitter. Uh, Renus VK, the longest tenured full-time driver in the team's 11-year history. What? Isn't that crazy? And it's not very long either. No. It's just, it's crazy. Pretty wild. All right. Back to, speaking of Alex Pillow, let's talk Alex Pillow the latest. <sighs> Once it gets into the legalese, 
I rapidly lose interest. Yes. So they will have this case go to federal court. There is some sort of hearing that's coming up, I think, next week to discuss everything in the case between Chip Ganassi Racing and Plo and ALPA Racing, uh, which are named in the suit. Uh, the plan is for there to be some sort of hearing, I want to say August 9th. August 8, uh, 9th, I believe, is that hearing. So after that, that's all we know, but it will stay in federal court. That is essentially where we're at. Yeah, it's, this may drag on for a little bit, at least till somebody blinks or, or whatever, because this is not going to be cheap. You know, once the courts get involved and you're paying court fees and all this stuff, it's just, you know, increases the cost for everyone. So... I think going forward, this could be a two-week thing. It could be a two-month thing. Who knows at this point? But Alex Pillow, his his circle of of friends, I feel, in, in the IndyCar paddock has been shrinking over this entire situation. Yeah, it's not helped. And with all this, everything's still sealed. So outside of the press release and the tweets, <laughs> we're not going to learn anything new. And, you know, good to see Oscar Piastri going to the Alex Pillow school of tweeting <laughs> in terms of uh, not confirming a contract. Yeah, that Pretty, was <laughs> quite interesting. Is, is McLaren involved in that one? Reports say yes. Oh, man. Here we go. And Nathan Brown pointing this out as far as the filing Agrees diversity of citizenship. Parties from multiple states, countries exists. It's part of the reason the case should be heard in federal courts. Uh, also, uh, they agree broadly that more than $75,000 is at stake. None of these are surprises. Yeah, sure. I guess we'll wait when it's spit out of the legal system at the end. <laughs> I just, you know, if, if, if it comes to the, the back and forth in the media and social media, I'm all here for that. But once the courts get involved, I rapidly <laughs> check fall asleep. out. Yes. All right. Let's preview this weekend's Big Machine at Music City Grand Prix. Let's go. Some changes on the course. Yes. Yeah. We have course changes. I think before we even get get that far, though, the green tire makes its debut this Ooh, weekend. Oh yeah, the green tire. So the alternate tire from Firestone will be Firestone Greens. The I'm not sure how to say this word. Guayel. Guayel. It's, it's a tire. plant that grows in the Southwest. I know that. Yes. So that will make its debut. We'll see how that goes this weekend. You mentioned course changes as well. Marshall Pruitt of racer.com uh, discussing this in, in a recent story. N- none of these changes are big surprises. Restarts moved to a- another turn. Basically, as they come off the Korean Veterans Bridge that feeds into Turn 9, that's that will be the restart zone as well. So that will help with the restarts that were chaotic. Cluster, yeah. Last year. Uh, the large bump in Turn 5, that's been repaved. The Aww. wide section entering Turn 9 has been narrowed to 50 feet for more hospitality suites. And the previously narrow Turn 11, which Colton Hurd was the only one to seemingly figure that one out last year that corner has been widened by six feet at the apex and they've also done work to soften the transitions on and off the bridge as well because of the hard bottoming uh, issues they had last year so all all good changes no 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 porpoising to to worry about here just you know 
after the first time having a street course, these are obviously things that you take from year one. And how do you do for year two to make things better? So we'll see how it goes. Good moves because I felt like coming out of it, people last year, people just kind of wanted to complain about what didn't work as opposed to what did. So this will go a long way towards solving that and, Hopefully Grandstand 6 gets put up by the weekend because Caleb Hatch will be assigned <laughs> Grandstand 6. Well, I've I've seen some reports from local media in Nashville. The stain is done, so that okay. is positive. Whew. It's good to go. In fact, Adam Stern, Sports Business Journal, Sports Business Daily, uh, pulling this uh, article, but they expect combined attendance 110 to 120,000 people over the weekend. At a great crowd last year. I'm looking. I've been looking at ticket sales just to see where things are at. Yeah. And outside of Grandstand six and seven, which I would say they're probably about, you know, seventy five to eighty percent sold at this point. Everything else is close, if not sold out, as far as the sands go for Sunday. Good to see. Hopefully, the weather holds for you. Yes. <laughs> as the ultimate question mark for this weekend, <laughs> the weather. Three key stats from Chad Smith on Twitter. Chad 200 uh, driver starting in second position. The season has won at seven of the 13 races. It's interesting. Yeah. Passion has only led a total of 12 laps of the last 36. Ooh. Penske has led 53% of the laps this season, 915 of 1,723. I mean, it's hard to do event specific stats when you have one event to compare it from, but those are yeah. some season stats to look at. Plus 26 entries this year as Proto Autosport. Uh, returns with their partnership with Ed Carpenter Racing. Simona D. Sylvester will be in the 16 car, and they have a new primary sponsor, Acumatica Cloud ERP is He's, the name of the company, a cloud-based enterprise resource planning software company. I don't know what that means. But, I don't either, <laughs> but a sponsor but, is a sponsor. But the people, yeah, the people that need to know, know. And we saw Predator Autosport take some big leaps forward from race one to race two. Hopefully we see that now in race three, the final race of the season for Pareto Autosport. And also a change on Indy Lights as they are back. James Rowe joining HMD Motorsports. Everybody's joining HMD. On the light side, TJ Speed without a driver for Nashville. They'll likely skip the round. That's from F1 Feeder You're going down. You may as well just (laughs) jump in a seat. Yeah, if I bring a big enough check. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't think I have. But that's a look at some of the changes on the circuit and what to expect this year for that event. And with that, I'd say it's time we get into our race picks. Uh, am I going first? Yeah. You know, do I go? I went, I deviated from Penske last week and it did not work out. So do I stick with Penske again this week or do I go elsewhere? I am going to stick with I'm going to, no, you know what? I'm going Colton Herta. Ah, I'm going to go with Colton Herta as well, actually, <laughs> just because I think he'll redeem himself. He was yes. so much faster than everyone else at this track mm-hmm. last year. I get that in year two, people will catch up. Plus they made some changes to the track as we mentioned, but I just, it feels like he's due for a win. He was probably going to win that race last week. If not for whatever right. that issue was. I mean, it, yes, Rossi was in second, but it's not like he was close. Colton Herta was, on his own race, running his own pace, looked set for a win until that happened. You know, Alexander Rossi was able to exercise the demons, so to speak. Andretti Autosport as well, at least with the Rossi camp last week. 
you look at at Herta. Now, if he can have a clean weekend, if the team can have a clean weekend, I like his chances. So taking a look at the schedule for the weekend for IndyCar on Friday, August 5th, practice one, all these times are Eastern. So if you're in Nashville, well, go, go forward an hour, or I guess, well, I guess it'd be go, go back an hour, back an hour for central you're on time. central. Yeah. 415 to 530 Eastern practice one. Then on Saturday, practice two, 1215 to 115 and then qualifying starts at 430 and goes until 545 on Saturday afternoon. The warm-up 1015 to 1045 in the morning, Sunday morning, Eastern time, and then the TV window 3 to 6 p.m. NBC, Peacock, IndyCar Live for International Plus. You can listen on Sirius XM and IndyCar Radio as well. Green flag approximately 315 or so. So a shorter pre-race, kind of intermediate. Yeah, I think the sweet spot of um, pre-races. When you look at the odds heading into this weekend, Caleb, who has the best odds per DraftKings entering Friday? I would guess Newgarden. Joseph Newgarden at plus 450 is tops, followed by Pato Award at plus 500. You have two drivers at plus 600, Will Power and Colton Herta. Scott Dixon and Alex Pillow at plus 900 round out, uh, you know, the top five or six there. Rossi and Erickson behind at a plus 1,000. Who has the steepest odds to win this weekend? Simona. Simona and Dalton Kellett at plus 100,000, which means if you bet $5 on either of those drivers and they win, you cash in $5,000. But I don't see that happening. No, I, I don't <laughs> I don't see either of them winning unless Sounds there's good. some crazy strategy. We haven't had a Carlos Huertas type race. We, though, yeah, we haven't in a while, right? So I, I wonder what the odds were for Carlos Huertas to Houston to win that race. Yeah, I wonder. I'm sure they were astronomical. But it's happened before. I just don't see it happening this weekend. No, nor do I. All right, if you agree or disagree with our picks or thoughts on the the Gallagher Grand Prix, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast on Facebook. Like us, just search for New Track Record. On Instagram, our handle is IndyCar Podcast as well. You can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com with your questions, comments, concerns, rants, all accepted. And you can find us on the web, NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, check out the store page. We have stickers and shirts for sale. Also, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements for the podcast. And you can find us on Patreon. Thanks to Xavier and Rob and others who have signed up and are supporting us. We have four different tiers, starting with as little as just $1 a month. And, as always, listen in on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts all for free. Okay, Justin, mailbag time, and we start with Rate the Race, the Gallagher Grand Prix. What's your number? I gave it a six and a half. I would agree. Okay. All right. We're both picking Colton Herta. We're both giving the race the same grade. We're just in sync this week. Yes. Responses on Twitter. Jeremy from HBG, and this is a paragraph, so bear with me. Six and a half looked like the racing the field was better than we were seeing. 
But I watched on delay, so no timing scoring to confirm that. Quick couple other points. Every time I heard Diffie say Gallagher, it sounded like Galaga to me. Well, that's <laughs> I would just... love the Galaga GP. <laughs> Colton Hurd is overly aggressive on what has been proven as fragile equipment. He could be a champion if he quit breaking his cars. Connor Daly has a massive case of pot kettle syndrome after his comments on DeFrancesco during the race. How people like a grown-up entitled frat boy being sponsored by a crypto scam. I just don't Ooh. quite understand. Wow. I mean, is that it? No, there's more. Oh, okay. Keep going. Then I'll comment. Leave on a high note. I watched on Peacock via delay. No commercials at all after the pre-race. Just edit marks. Did the My Stuff thing to skip the navigation through the spoilerific menu. Good experience. Would do that again if I couldn't watch live. Now if they could do a static upcoming race info to frame the picture in pictures that get edited out. That would be awesome. End. And, and uh, in terms of the daily DeFrancesco thing, I didn't feel like Devlin did anything wrong there. So I would agree. Connor was like, you know, said he doesn't belong in the series and everything. And you're like, eh. I mean, he's had some certain, questionable moves. Certain people could say that about you kind of thing. I mean, it's just, look, we see egregious stuff all the time on, on track. I didn't feel like that was egregious. That was hard racing and taking the line a little wide to, you know, block him basically. I, I didn't see yeah. anything wrong with that. I agree. I will say too, in terms of Peacock and, and one thing we've mentioned, and this happened at Iowa uh, in terms of trying to jump in a race live and try to rewind it, which you can't do on Peacock. The same thing on ESPN plus with formula one races can't rewind. So if formula one can't do it, if you're not doing it in formula one ESPN, I can live with it. It's it's not something that other people have that IndyCar doesn't, at least through their streaming platform. Yes. This from Poet Shevchenko, he gave it a one. Woo! Race control is just doing whatever it wants now, and I see crew members running to pit entrance to push a car out of the way, and the pits are still open. Something has gone way too far. And to your point, yes. According to Sitch, give it a six. Watching the timing screen, the race throughout the field seemed more exciting what was presented on TV. The first half of the race, I thought, was very entertaining and, and interesting. But then after Herta's car gave out after that, I mean, it just, that was it. I'll admit, with 25 to go, I cheated and looked at, saw who won the race, and then kind of uh, casually fast forward a little bit here and there. It you missed not, nothing. It was not an exciting second half of that race. Dan- Daniel SEM 2004 gave it a five. Typical IMS road course race, boring. Like having Rossi finally break his streak. Vicky Lynn 26, nine as a Rossi fan. I loved it. So great to see him finally get the W. I thought there were some good battles happening through the field. Three of my picks for fantasy were one, two, three at the end. Overall, I had fun watching it. Hunter's way 67 as a Rossi fan, myself a 10 as a race fan in general, a six. I am analog a five. I don't know how many times in the short time I've been following any car. Seen a herd of DNF. seems like every other race. It's something good day for Penske too. Transocean Trojan. I know, I guess it's just me, but my definition of a good race seems to be very different from most people. <laughs> I see high marks from a lot of people for bland racing, and then we get a race like this that had three separate legit leaders changing hands in quick succession, and people don't like it. But to answer the question, I'd say eight and a half. Enjoyed all the drivers charging from the back early on in the drama. It didn't kind of mellow out at the end and seem like the podium was a foregone conclusion after that last round of pit stops. Early action made up for it, in my opinion, though. Racer Mac RTP1 gave it a six. Had some elements of entertainment, but got largely status quo by IMS road course standards. Cool to see Rossi in a drought, though. Great day 
for Lungard 2. Sigdomer gave it a 4. Hero IndyCar gave it a 3. Man. Jeff Cerneski gave it an 8. Some passing, some cautions, no more questions about when will Rossi win a race. Aaron M. 1978, maybe a 7. Indy Oreo gave it a 4 and a half. How about that? So as they look at rate the race for the Gallagher Grand Prix, some other mailbag submissions. This on the Alex Pelo, Oscar Piastri, and then McLaren <laughs> in the middle with handshakes. Uh, I posted that. Uh, Poet Shevchenko says, how many drivers have McLaren secretly signed? Scuba Steve 85. I'm starting to wonder if I should make sure I'm not driving for McLaren in 2023. Uh, Bill Hessa, this is a joke, right? What is happening? Not a joke. Uh, Trackside Marty says McLaren is going to end up with more drivers than seats. At this rate, yeah, it, it kind of looks like it. It's all part of the plan for McLaren. What that plan is, I have no idea, but they have a plan. We will find out. We're not sure. All right. On the court case with Alex Blow moving to federal court, Jeremy from HBG. Yeah, we all know this will end in some kind of a settlement before discovery. It all just is about who blinks first. Poet Shevchenko uh, with a, a gif of Billy Mays, the OxyClean <laughs> guy. But wait, there's more. Classic. N.K. Harden seems like each party wants Alex out of the seat this year, but neither one is going to be the one that pulls the trigger. Instead, just continue this escalating steering contest. We all get to enjoy it. That's the big thing. I hope it continues all the way up to Laguna Seca. Uh, some people had some snide remarks on your comments last week on Rossi. Uh, <laughs> this is after Rossi won the race. Hunter's Way 67. Take that, Justin. Much deserved, yes. Uh, one, Botticher. I apologize for, I'm sure, mispronouncing that. Rossi must have listened to the podcast this week. Hey, <laughs> I took credit for it, guys. I, I solely responsible for that victory. You're welcome, Rossi Nation. Uh, this from The Roth. I've been waiting on Lingard to do something this year, so thanks. It's the Office Space manager from the movie Office Space with the overall, uh, the suspenders. <laughs> yep. I need you to come in on Saturday. That'd be great. Lumberg? Mm-hmm. Yes. Correct. All right. On the schedule. So Marshall Pruitt had this article, racer.com. Next year's schedule, the same. That's what we were expecting. However, some options in play for 2024. A return to the legendary Milwaukee Miles on the table, along with a trip south to Mexico. No specific trap said to be targeted at the moment. Uh, we obviously talked about Monterey. Well, the fact that, that the other week, but the fact in that story, Pruitt mentions that the, the IndyCar would like to be at to add an oval. Would they be talking about that oval in Mexico? The play play blow or play blow? Yeah, play I, blow, I don't yeah. think so. So I'm not sure, but it makes sense to try to get to Mexico. You just hope Pato Award is still around. Hunter's Way 67 says, I thought IndyCar Deep Threat said Homestead was in play. Yeah, we've heard that past couple years, but it seems to be off the radar now. It's still so weird. It almost goes week to week with, with Milwaukee, right? It's yeah. nothing, and then there's something in the works to there's nothing to maybe there's something. You know, I'll believe it when I see it on the schedule. N.K. Harden says, IndyCar, where nothing is happening next year, but everything is always happening in two years. I mean, it's a good point. Yeah. It's it's very true. Thanks to the shout out from Save Jackson 32. It's a great addition to my toolbox. Thanks for the sticker, guys. You are welcome. 
And let's see, a couple other things on the mailbag. Ah, here we go. So this from Bauer Racing tagging us. Thanks for the heads up. But Racing with Rich Energy, the tell-all book investigating the saga of the Rich Energy Haas F1 team coming fall of 2022. Somebody's writing a book on it? Yes, Alanis King. <laughs> Pre-orders open, McFarlandBooks.com. Sign me up. So there we go. That's I the, saw William's the story, inside story. William's story of Rich Energy taking to the socials to give his take on the F1 drama. I don't know if people care. No. It's always kind of comedic when he talks about breaking contracts and lying and all that stuff. All right. So that wraps up the mailbag. As always, send us your tweets. Facebook messages, Instagram messages, emails, snail mail, what have you. All right, news and notes. Not a whole lot to get to in this section. Um, We start, Logan Sargent will make his F1 practice debut at Coda for Williams in Austin. Remember, he was looking at joining the Foyt team a couple of years ago. Yeah, still, I I feel with the added emphasis on... America, obviously, in Formula One, three races coming next year. Logan Sargent's going to get a shot in Formula One as a full-time driver with somebody. I feel like it'll be Williams for next year. We'll see. Hopefully, yeah. the practice session goes I mean, well. William, was it Sargent and Albon for Williams? Yeah. Possibly. We'll okay. see. hy V, they're going to open another store in the Indianapolis area. They already have plans for a store in Zionsville. Now they've applied for a permit for a location in Fishers. Do they currently have no locations? Correct. In okay. Jimmy Johnson had this quote that was interesting in the Tennessean. This is very interesting that I think it kind of flew under the radar. Even the IndyCar full-time schedule is a bit of a stretch. This year with IndyCar and IMSA, I'm at 21 races, and I'm feeling a little more busy than I want to be. I feel like that to me tells me that Jimmy Johnson would entertain doing ovals only for IndyCar. I mean, as part of that article too, he talked about returning to NASCAR at some point. Yeah. So returning to NASCAR, not out of the question. And I feel like I'm doing too many races now, basically tells me he would pick and choose some NASCAR races to do and couple that with an oval only schedule for IndyCar. Could that be as soon as next year? I don't know. Sebastian Bourdais, this from Jack Binion of We Are The Race. A lot of people penciling him in for the 10 car for next year. Uh, however, Bourdais says, my future is very simple. It's Cadillac. That's about as clear as it gets. So do not expect to see Bourdais full-time in IndyCar next year. You see Ryan Hunter Ray, potentially. Yeah, I think that's in the, the stopgap if they're going to do that. IMSA, speaking of sports cars, will return to IMS in 2023. We teased that last week. It'll be a two-hour, 40-minute race. They plan for an endurance race in 2024 and beyond. I think the endurance race will be cool. Six yes. to eight hours. We're talking about bringing in some lights in the infield. It'd be pretty Camping cool. in the infield. Yeah. Some really cool features as part of that. And one other note, I think this is probably the most notable thing. Graham Rahal and Chip Ganassi pushing for IndyCar to enter Pittsburgh street race mix. Now, this is after NASCAR. Uh, or Pittsburgh officials had interest in NASCAR. And so this is from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. They're also pushing, and it makes sense. Uh, Chip Ganassi from Pittsburgh. He has offices in yeah. Pittsburgh. I mean, sponsor, PNC, HQ yeah. in Pittsburgh. 
I think there's a lot to like. I think Pittsburgh, you know, whoever sent the tweet out or whatever, they're naturally going to say, oh, we'd like a NASCAR race too. Not probably knowing that IndyCar is more known for their street races than NASCAR. We still don't know how it's going to turn out in Chicago. I feel with, I mean, the cars are so, I mean, if you watch the race on Sunday, even on the road course at Indy, the cars are so slow, so slow. And in Chicago, they're going to be so slow. And so, you know, in terms of speed, in terms of exciting racing, IndyCar has it over NASCAR in terms of street race, unless you just want people crashing into each other, which I understand there's a certain amount of people out there that just want to see that. Chip has apparently been in discussions with this since they built Acrisure, a.k.a. Heinz Field uh, Stadium back when that was built. So it's been a long time. What I mean, we're looking at what, like 20, close to 20 years for that a stadium around or a race around that stadium. So Chip's been in discussions, but timing is kind of the issue has to be between Memorial Day and Labor Day. Obviously, you don't want to be up against the Steelers as well. So that's kind of a, a non-starter. Obviously they have to coordinate it with the pirates as well. And PPG, we forgot about them, the yeah. Penske and series sponsor as well. I think there's a lot of potential there and they have a lot of bridges. So we already see IndyCar on bridges in Nashville, you know, a lot of potential for more bridge crossing in Pittsburgh. All right. Time for tweets of the week and a lot of great commentary on Oscar Piastri and everything that went down. First off from Felix Rosenquist, I had to double check. It's not first of April. <laughs> Pato tweeted Alexa play deja vu. Brock Bolton 77. Has this man approached you regarding a contract to drive for McLaren? If so, you may be entitled to compensation. <laughs> Picture of Zach Brown. And then the best tweet was Alex Albon's announcement. I understand that with my agreement, Williams Racing have put out a press release this afternoon and I'm driving for them next year. This is right. And I've signed a contract with Williams for 2023. I will be driving for Williams next year. Let's go. <laughs> now we need confirmations of the confirmation. Yeah. Basically. And then finally, there's one more. Uh, Centino Ferrucci uh, misspelling Joseph's name, saying that he was glad that New Garden's okay and we'll be able to race. Remember Ferrucci on standby. And Joseph said, it's Joseph with his name spelled correctly. At Penske, we care about details. The dig is so New Garden-esque too. Yes. I love it. All right. Random split air driver of the week time. All right. We, we previewed last week. We we're going to go to cart in 2005 for a treasure trove of names. And we're starting it off this week with Homero Richards who raced in a single race for champ car back in 2005 with GTE HVM racing in Mexico city. Why? Well, he's a native of Mexico city. He actually won back-to-back championships in the Latin American formula Renault championship in 2004, 2005. I know that you have all of those races on VHS somewhere, Caleb, <laughs> and made his first and only champ car world series start in 2005 at Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez. That's where they do the F1 race. Yes. So he finished 16th in that race, which sounds great, but I don't know how many people started it. Let's check. Uh, 19. (laughs) So he actually qualified last and finished 16th, namely because three guys went out of the race. He finished one lap behind the winner of that race, Justin Wilson, in fact. There you go. AJ Allmendinger in second, Paul Tracy in third 
rounding out the podium and he's sponsored by Nextel, which yeah, uh, right? I, I had, had a decent I, I had Nextel stock as a kid. So it made Nextel money. stock? Really? Did you yeah. ever have the Nextel phone, you know, where you could like it was like a walkie talkie hit the No, thing? Okay. I wish though. Me neither. Uh but finishing up on Omero Richards, two thousand six he switched from open wheel to stock cars, started to compete in the NASCAR Corona series. Never heard of it. But he also had Nextel sponsorship there for H and H Racing, a team he co-owns with his brother Ray Horacio. In two thousand fourteen, he switched from Nextel to Axtel M Racing. Now races for Escuderia Grupo TOP in the NASCAR Peak Mexico Series. I don't think you can find that on Peacock. Yeah, I don't think you can. I'd be curious if he's still actually racing in that series today. But this week's random split era driver of the week. Omero Richards from Mexico City. One and done in Champ Car in 2005. And someone, as we mentioned, I, of course, have not heard of. The first of many from 2005 in Champ Car. Can't wait. Yes. All right. Well, we will be back next week to recap the Music City GP on the streets of Nashville. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.